This morning, the series is While You're Waiting. Uh, What's the worst part about going to an amusement park? It's the waiting, right? The waiting. I mean, some might have some other answers, but it's the waiting. It's the worst part. It's the worst part when you're in an amusement park. It's the worst part when you're at the DMV. It's the worst part when you're at the grocery store. I don't know many people that walk up to that little machine, you know, and you hope you pull a number that there's 20 people in front of you, you know, at the grocery store. You don't like the waiting. You don't want to wait. The waiting is not something uh, that most of us like. So some amusement parks, like if you go to a Disney amusement park, at some point, someone around Disney came up with the idea of we have to do something with this problem of waiting because nobody likes to wait. And everybody has to wait. So they came up with some things like the fast pass, and, and uh, you can do that. But then there are still times you're going to have to wait in line. You can't use the fast pass on every ride. Uh, so you have to wait in line. So someone at Disney said, what can we do? And if you go to some rides at Disney, they thought, we're going to do things when you're waiting in line at Disney that other places aren't going to do. So they have animatronics there in the line. You've got screens there. You've got characters that are greeting you. You've got people. So you're waiting, and you don't even know you're waiting sometimes. Sometimes you're in one room, and they're showing you a movie, and you think it's the ride. It's not even the ride because they have come up with something to do during the waiting time. What are we supposed to do while we're waiting? You know, there's a sense that in all of our lives that we're waiting. Those of us, especially as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we talk about the fact that this life isn't all there is, that one day Jesus came once, but he's coming back again, and we're waiting for that moment. There's times now where we see things dimly. We know God. We see God, but we don't see him face to face, and the Bible says there's a time, you know, after this world, either after death or after Jesus comes again, will you see God face to face? Will you see him face to face? But we're waiting for that time because we live in this world. And this world doesn't look all that good sometimes. So what do you do while you're waiting? As we get into the book of Titus uh, over the next uh, several weeks, this letter that Paul has written to Titus, the Apostle Paul wrote it to one of his protégés, so an older man in the faith, writing this to a younger man in the faith, Um, he's really, in many ways, telling him what we're supposed to be doing while we're waiting. And so we're going to kind of look at that. Uh, Paul is writing to Titus, who was left on the island of Crete. So first century um, is is the setting, early church, uh, and he's on the island of Crete, about an island about 142 miles wide in the Mediterranean. And it's a tough culture. Sometimes... In the world that we live in, we look around and we say it's difficult to live in the world that we're living in. Living a good life of the gospel is always a challenge in the wider culture that defines good in other ways. One commentator said it this way, it's particularly hard in a culture where newspapers cannot be trusted, politicians are corrupt and harsh and selfish, a racist culture in which there's fear of crime a culture where people are reluctant to do manual work, which is therefore left to migrant workers, a culture in which people routinely overeat, and that, of course, is the culture of first century Crete. It's actually a good description of how life was there. In the passage that Paulette read just a few minutes ago, you heard a quote uh, from one of the Cretan philosophers 
One of the Cretan philosophers, Epimenides, said this, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I don't know. That's, that's, not, that's not a comforting description, I think, of a lot of people. Always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And Paul is writing to this young man in the faith and saying, you are there, and you're to set up churches in that place. And so he's given him instructions of what to do in that place. So, and we also can learn of what we're supposed to be doing where God has placed us and where God has put us. So throughout the series, we'll be asking this question, what do we do while we're waiting? This morning specifically, I want to look at this question. Who are the people that you and I listen to while you're waiting? Who are the people that you and I listen to while we're waiting? More importantly, who are the people you should be listening to while you're waiting? Who gets a voice in your ear? Who gets a seat at the table of your life to speak influence into your life? Who do you follow or who do you unfollow? Because we're living in a time where we constantly are able to make decisions about which voice is going to be the loudest in our lives, about who we're going to listen to and who we're not, and what's the criteria you're going to use for that, because we're constantly making decisions about this, right? From the moment you get in the car, you turn on the radio, or you don't. You make that decision, right? From the moment you, you have your phone and you decide which podcast you're going to load up, or you're not going to load up onto there, which music you'll listen to, or you won't. You're on social media. Who are you going to follow, or who are you going to unfollow? I don't even know if unfollow was a word before Twitter, but it's become a part of our language. Like, I'm going to unfollow that person. We're going to follow. Who are you going to listen to? Facebook, who are you going to let into your stream? Who are you going to block? We're constantly making decisions about the voices that we are going to listen to. I'll let this person post to my wall. I'll block that person from posting to my wall. Sometimes we spend too much time listening to a voice that's not helpful, that can be harmful, even toxic. Sometimes we're too quick to cut off a voice that we may not agree with or we may not like the sound of but has something helpful to say to us because sometimes the truth is not easy to hear. We do the same thing in our spiritual lives. When it comes to our spiritual life, which voice should be the loudest? What's the criteria that you're going to use? What voice should you should be the loudest in your life? In the passage this morning, as I said, Paul is writing to Titus, and he's telling him, look, I left you behind on the island of Crete to do two things. One, you got to put things into order. Look, this place is a mess. The church is just starting you got to put things into order. Two, you got to put some leadership in place. You got to put elders in place in each of the towns who will oversee the churches. So that's what he said. You got these two things to do. And then in this passage this morning, what he does is he says, look, here's the people you want to put in place. And we're going to look at the first half of the passage this morning and the second half of the passage next week. And he says, here's the people that you want to put in place as spiritual leaders in the church. Now, most of us don't on a regular basis have the privilege and opportunity of choosing spiritual leaders in the church. But all of us 
in the culture and the world that we live in, have the opportunity to choose the spiritual voices in our lives that we are going to listen to. And the question is, what's the criteria that you and I should use for who gets to be the loudest voice in our life? There's lots of things we often use as criteria of who we're going to listen to. For you, it may be different than someone else. Maybe it's competency. Maybe you like listening to voices who are extremely competent in their particular area. And maybe that's who you listen to. Sometimes it's persuasiveness. You want to listen to someone who can really make their case, who can really make their argument, who can really persuade well. Or maybe it's for you, maybe it's education and credentials. I mean, it's a big one in our part of the world, right? I mean, we live in this hub of education. If you look at uh, the population of just Burlington, the largest uh, employment group or the largest aspect area that people are employed in is education. Uh, they're either working in the education field or have some connection to the education field. Uh, and so in our in our world, that's often the case. Maybe it's education. You want to know what initials, what are the letters you have after your name? You have PhD, you have, what is it? What is it you have after your name? Or maybe it's popular. You just want to listen to someone who everyone else is listening to. You know, everyone else is hearing them, so maybe you want to hear what they have to say as well. Maybe it's someone who makes you feel good. You know, I I don't know much about this person, but every time I hear them, I walk away smiling. Or maybe it's someone who just says what you like to hear. Or perhaps it's someone who just doesn't like the people that you don't like. And so the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I mean, what is it that you listen to? What's the criteria? These are not all necessarily bad criteria, but when it comes to the most important matters, they're not the only ones we should consider. How do you choose the voices you're going to listen to? Which voice gets to be the loudest? When a voice disagrees, which one wins in your life and in your mind? Is it the voice of the person who's most persuasive or competent, or educated, or maybe there's another criteria we need to consider. Paul gives Titus the job of putting things in order and selecting spiritual leaders. And when he does, he says, Titus, for these spiritual leaders, two criteria. Two criteria you need to consider. Two things that are important. Two things that you need to not overlook when you are choosing leaders in the church. And we're going to look at that in verses 5 through 9 this morning. So there's two things that are important for you. Verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, and open, not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach talks about the first aspect that Paul talks about is important is if you're going to choose leaders, if you're going to choose a leader in the church, if you're going to choose someone over other people, and if you and I are going to choose spiritual voices in our lives who will influence us and lead us, they need to be people of character. The first thing he says is consider their character. Because the men you put over these situations must be men of character. We live in a results-based world. So if someone gets results, there's times that we may overlook bad character. We're tempted to overlook bad character. There's a lot of really competent people that have poor character, and it ends up hurting. There's a couple people that have been in the news this week, Travis Kalanick and Bill Cosby. 
Neither one of them are in the news because they lack competency. They're both in the news because their character is being questioned. And so what Paul says is when you consider people who are going to be in leadership, make sure they are people of character. It's interesting that Paul does not tell Titus how to run a church. He does not tell Titus how to have a church service or even how to set up the structure of a church. He tells them how to find the right people. He says, Titus, you find the right people. You get the right people on the bus, and those right people will do the right thing. But it starts with the right people. John Maxwell says that everything rises and falls on leadership. But if everything rises and falls on leadership, then everything rises and falls on the leader, and the leader rises and falls on his character. Character is important. Oftentimes, if we find voices who say things we agree with, we will sometimes overlook character. But Paul says, make sure you don't ignore character. Make sure you don't ignore those things. It wasn't competency that he first, that he first struck upon, that he first says is the criteria. It is character. It's people of character. It matters. It matters. It matters in our world. Just yesterday, I was reading a story on the uh, Volkswagen controversy. Uh, you've heard about this Volkswagen controversy. Just yesterday, I was reading a story that they settled for 15 plus billion dollars because of their emissions scam that they were running. And Volkswagen admitted the cars equipped with a two-liter diesel engine were programmed to turn on emission controls when the government lab tests were done and to turn them off when the cars were running on the road. And uh, so they ended up getting caught and settling for 15 plus billion dollars. And I look at that and I say, character is what you do when nobody is looking, right? I mean, that's the saying. And so you get this car company that says, hey, we can get away with this. Nobody's looking. Nobody's paying attention. And we can do this. And it's character of the people that are what they're going to do when nobody's looking. Contrast that to this other story I read about this man who lived in England and came over to the United States to go to a resort for several months. He wanted to bring his car with him. His car happened to be a Rolls Royce. Now, when I travel, unless I'm driving my car, I usually don't take my car with me, but I guess if you own a Rolls Royce, this is how you roll. (laughs) He packaged, he was coming over for several months, packaged his car up, has it shipped over to the United States so he can drive it while he's in the United States. But while he's here, something goes wrong with the car and there's a mechanical failure. He calls up England, explained his problem to the company. Rolls-Royce told him, that's fine. Within 48 hours, we'll have a mechanic with auto parts on the plane over to you to fix your problem. They put a mechanic on a plane with the necessary car parts, flew him to the United States. He worked on the car in the parking lot of the resort fixed it in good time, got on a plane, and flew back to England. The man happily drove his rolls for the rest of the time in the U.S., then he packaged it up, put it on a ship, went back to England. Nearly a year goes by after he returned, discovered he never received a bill from Rolls-Royce. So he wrote the company a letter saying, this date last year, there was something wrong with my Rolls-Royce, and you flew a mechanic over to help me. You fixed it, but I never received a bill. Should you find that bill in your office, I'll be happy to pay it for your efforts in fixing my car. He received a letter back from Rolls-Royce that simply said, in the files of the headquarters of Rolls-Royce, there is no such account saying anything has ever been wrong with a Rolls-Royce anywhere that you speak of. (laughs) 
little bit of a difference. Now, which of these companies would you want speaking into your life? Character matters, right? A company that's going to get away with whatever they can get away with when nobody's looking. And that's not just Volkswagen. I'm not picking on Volkswagen. They just happened to be in the news yesterday. Or a company that's going to say, even if it costs us something, we will make it right. And it's the same thing in people, right? You can get people. Paul is saying, choose people of character because they'll do the right thing when nobody is looking. They'll do the right thing when nobody... Because I'm not there, and Titus, one day you won't be there. But if you will put people in place who you can trust, then it's okay. Because the right people in the right place will do the right thing even when nobody's looking. So what specifically about character is important? Well, twice in these verses, Paul uses these words, if anyone is above reproach. What does that mean? Your translation may say blameless. Some translations say blameless. Well, what is above reproach and what does blameless mean? Well, I'll tell you what it does not mean. It cannot mean perfect. It does not mean perfect. It cannot mean perfect because it would disqualify every single person, including Paul himself, from serving in leadership. All are sinners, and Paul put himself in that category. In in fact, he said, I am the chief sinner. I stood by and watched Christians get killed. All are sinners. None of us are perfect. So whatever blameless means and whatever above reproach means for the spiritual leaders that we have in our lives, it cannot mean perfect. Actually, what Paul is getting at there is that these people, there is no credible accusation against their character that anybody would make. It's not that they have perfect lives. It's that there are not credible accusations against their character. So there aren't people out there saying, oh, how could you follow that guy? Do you know what he did? How can you follow her? Do you know what she did? How can you follow? Because there are accusations. Do you know what's going on in their life? It's not that they're perfect. It's that what in the life and in the community, how are they viewed and how are they seen? And so above reproach means there aren't credible accusations against their character. And there's two places that Paul says that that's important. One is in their family. One is in their family. He talks about two things in the family. He says the the man must be the husband of one wife. And there's a lot of theological questioning often of what that means. Does that mean you can't have someone who's not married in leadership? Does that mean the person in leadership has to be married? Does that mean you can't have someone who's uh, had a wife and, and been a widow and now is married again in leadership? Does that mean you can't have someone who is divorced in leadership? What does it mean that he's a husband of one wife? And there's different streams of thinking and different people that will say and interpret this in different ways. But perhaps understanding the literal translation of what Paul's words are is helpful. The literal translation of what Paul's saying there is he must be a one-woman man. He must be a one-woman man. In other words, he is in the community seen as being faithful to the vows that he has made in his house, being faithful to the woman that he is committed to. He's not someone, and remember, he's talking about the culture of Crete, lazy, gluttons, evil beasts. 
He's not someone who's seen as, as flirting with other women. He's not someone who's seen as out, uh, certainly not adultery, certainly not anything cheating on his wife. He is understood and he's seen in the community above reproach, faithful to his wife, faithful to the vows he made, because if he will be faithful to the vows that he made in his own home, then he will be faithful to the vows that he makes to the church. If he will be faithful to his bride, then he will be faithful to the bride of Christ. And so Paul says, when you look for a person of character, look for someone who's faithful. Look for someone who's faithful. When you're looking for people who lead, look for someone who's faithful. Now please don't hear what I'm not saying. Paul is looking at the qualifications for these spiritual leaders. These are not, these are not salvation qualifications. You understand that, right? You understand the difference. Paul's not saying you can't be saved or experience the grace of God if, if certain things have happened in your life. Paul is saying when you're choosing spiritual leaders and you're choosing these, these leaders in the church, consider their character. One place to consider their character is in the home. Are they faithful to the vows that they have made to the people that are important to them? Second thing he says about the home is his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery, debauchery and insubordination. Again, there's theological question. What does that mean? This word children that he used is a common word for young children, common word for young children in the home. Does that mean that uh, if you have someone whose children grow up in his house, leave his house, and then choose not to follow the Lord, that they are disqualified from leadership? Well, this term that he uses as children seems to be very clear, talking about young children, children in your home, children under your roof, and we don't control everybody's decision. Even God, the Father in heaven, has not taken it upon himself to control everyone's decision about whether they will follow God or whether or not they will follow God. God himself has children. (laughs) He has people that he has created in his image who have chosen not to follow him. And God has allowed them to make that decision, even though he has done everything in his power and strength to help them and to cause them and to love them to not make that decision. But what Paul is saying is the children that are in this this leader's home, the children that are under their roof, they should be children who are led spiritually, who are going a part of the church, who are loving, uh, loving family, who are following the ways of God while they are in the house. That's what he's saying. That they are, they are following God. They are going, and the husband and this man is able to lead his children spiritually, and here's why. Because if you can lead in your home spiritually, there's a good chance you're going to be able to lead in God's house spiritually. And so he says, choose people who can lead in their home. Choose people who can lead their children. Choose people who can lead their children and keep their a household in order. Because if you can keep your household in order, if you can keep your children in order then you may be able to uh, also lead in the house of God. Again, above reproach does not mean perfect. It doesn't mean that the kids of every pastor, every leader, every spiritual leader are going to be perfect. Please don't put that pressure on my children. (laughs) It does not mean they'll be perfect. But it means when things come up, how does the husband, how does the father, how does that leader handle those things within their house. They do it in a loving, godly way in accordance with the Word of God and the ways of God, or do they act differently? 
And that's where you get to the second part. So the first part of character is family in the home. The second part of character is the individual characteristics in a person's life, the individual uh, actions a person makes. And in here, Paul says there's five things he must not do and six things he must do. You're going to choose a spiritual leader in your life? You're going to evaluate him on character? Five things they must not do. Must not be arrogant. Must not be quick-tempered. Must not be violent, a drunkard, greedy for gain. It's verses 7, uh, verses seven and 8 we're looking at. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. Because if he is arrogant, he's going to think at some point that he's too smart for God. You get someone who's arrogant, at some point they're going to think they know more than God. So they can't be arrogant. Can't be quick-tempered. Someone who flies off the handle constantly because that's a lack of faith in God and trust. Can't be a quick-tempered person. Must exhibit the characteristics of God. Not violent. Someone who's violent is going to want to solve problems with their fists instead of the ways of God. Someone was violent. We see this at the... um, just before Jesus is crucified, Peter takes up a sword and, and, and tries to solve things violently. And, Peter, and Jesus essentially tells Peter, this one's not going to be solved with a sword. It's going to be solved with a cross. Not violent, not resorting to violence. Um, not a drunkard. Someone who loses their senses constantly, isn't in a good place to give a response. Is under the influence of something other than the Spirit. Not greedy for gain. Because someone who's greedy for gain and is a leader in the church will make decisions for their own personal benefit more than they will make them for the church that they are leading. Spiritual leaders, so be careful. The six things they must be. They must be hospitable. And by hospitable doesn't mean they can just put out a good crackers and cheese plate. Hospitable means they are welcoming to all people. And specifically, this word carries the... uh, connotation and meaning is they are welcome to strangers. They are welcome to, uh, they, are wel- they are welcoming to people. People that don't know them see them as a welcoming, loving, hospitable person. They have that reputation in the community. They are a lover of good. Self-control. This one's going to come up several times as we go through Titus. In fact, I think more than any other attribute, self-controlled comes up in the book of Titus as a quality that Paul says Christians are to have but specifically leaders are to have. Upright, holy, and disciplined. Holy, set apart for God. Set apart for the things of God. Disciplined, not governed by natural desires, but governed by that mission, governed by God and His Spirit. So first and above all, if you're going to choose a voice in your life, they must be a person of character. Secondly, Paul says they must be a person of sound doctrine. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. There are lots of people of excellent, upstanding, and good character who should not be the loudest spiritual voice in your life. Paul says they not only have to be people of good character, that's the minimum. They also need to be people of sound doctrine. They need to be people who hold to the Word of God. They need to be people who will not compromise on the Word of God. They need to be people who will hold to this understanding of the gospel and don't add to it or take away from it, but preach the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ and salvation through faith by grace. 
and don't add anything to it. That those are the people that you need to follow. And Paul, in his letters, is constantly arguing for this. He's constantly arguing against people that want to add to the gospel, saying you have to do this, this, this if you want to be saved. And Paul says, no, it's through the confession of your mouth, the belief in your heart, through faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God that saves you. And Paul's constantly arguing for that, to be sound in doctrine. And so you need people who are of good character, but you also need people who are sound in doctrine. One commentator said every pastor should have two voices because Paul says he needs to be sound in doctrine for instruction and rebuke. And so every spiritual leader should have two voices. One voice, a a voice that gathers the sheep, the voice of instruction, and one voice that rebukes and puts away the wolf. Constantly having two. He's able to do both in sound doctrine, able to gather the sheep to instruction, able to rebuke and keep away the wolves from the sheep. And so he needs to be sound in doctrine. Some people will say, I love listening to that person. They make me feel great afterward. That's wonderful, no problem. But do you also listen to someone who has good character and sound in doctrine that may challenge and rebuke you at times because sometimes that's what we need to hear. So it's not someone that always agrees with me. It's not someone with all the right credentials. It's a person of character and a person who holds the word of God who is sound in doctrine. So when choosing whom to follow and who to listen to, we often focus on competence and credentials. But the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, God tells us, focus on character and creed. It's not competence and credentials. It's character and creed that we should be looking at when we ask the question of who gets to be the loudest voice in our life when we look at spiritual matters. And that's why I would argue that the people closest to you should take priority and have a louder voice in your life than the talking head on the TV or the disembodied voice on the podcast or the book on the shelf. I don't know those people. I can't know for sure what their character is like. I can gauge some of their doctrine, but I don't know for sure. So for young people, I would say, don't overlook what God has put in your home as your parents. People who you can look at every single day and see them work to put food on your table, clothes on your back, a house you can live in, that character of theirs ought to carry a lot of weight in being a loud voice in your life that you listen to. Because you don't know the character of the other people, of some of the other voices in your life those people closest to you who you can evaluate, spiritual leaders at your local church ought to be people that you can look to, you can talk to. These people ought, there's a reason to have a loud voice in our lives. It's why when we bring in special speakers, like last Saturday, we had a great men's breakfast, 280 men there. Chad Williams did an excellent job, delivered probably one of the clearest calls and presentations of the gospel that I have ever heard anywhere delivered it clearly, uh, didn't hold back, called people to commitment. It was excellent. But I know a little bit about Chad Williams' character. I know enough of his character to say I'm willing to bring him in for a Saturday breakfast to speak to our men. I don't know enough about his character to say I'd bring him in every single week to speak and care 
over the church. I'd have to know more to be able to do that. It's why we don't have a guest speaker every week because we ought to be aware character and the doctrine of those who teach us. It's why we do things at Mount Hope like our start wants your base camp. We want people to know, come to, if, you, if you're starting to come to Mount Hope, you know, that little card that you have says, I want to attend a start once, I want to attend base camp. One of the reasons we do that is so that when you come to a local church and you're deciding to make this your church home, you ought to know the character of the people that are in leadership. You ought to know how the church is set up structurally. You ought to know all those things so that you can be confident and the people who are leading you. It's one of the reasons why Wendy and I love going to lunch with people who are new to Mount Hope. And if you're new to Mount Hope and you've been coming and, uh, for a few weeks and you're considering making it your home, we haven't taken you to lunch yet, check off that little thing on your card. Say you want to go to lunch with us. We'd love to take you to lunch because we want you to know us and we want to know you so that you can know the people who are leading you, guiding you. People you lead, the voices in your life, they ought to be people of character and they ought to be sound in doctrine. These are the things that we ought to consider when we're thinking about the loudest voices. But finally, there's this. The bottom line is that good character is still not good enough. While not everyone has strong enough character to qualify as the loudest voice of spiritual guidance in your life, no one has perfect enough character to qualify for heaven. Some have strong character. None have perfect character. Character strong enough to lead is not perfect enough to live in God's presence. The only one who ever walked this earth with that kind of perfect character was Jesus. If perfect character was possible, Jesus would not have had to come. All of us, all of us, fall short. All of us fall short at some point. The drunk in the street who left his family, walked out on every commitment he ever made, balled up his character and tossed it in the garbage like a discarded wrapper of a breakfast sandwich. And the greatest saint among us who stayed faithful to her family, to every commitment she ever made, who sacrificially loved and cared for others, All of us fall short of perfect character. And that's why all of us need Jesus so that we might have the ability to live in God's perfect presence. Because we are an imperfect people. But here's what the gospel says. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a perfect sacrifice so that you and I, as imperfect people, through faith in Him, may receive His righteousness and live in God's presence and with Him forever. That's the deal. That's the gospel. That that Jesus says, I will take on your unrighteousness, and you can put on my righteousness. I will take your stained and soiled character and give you my perfect Character. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's as simple as that. And that's the offer that Jesus makes. 
When you're looking for leaders in your life, make sure they're people of character and sound and doctrine, but know that none of them will be perfect in neither of you. For that, we need Christ. So if you're looking for a leader, look for this, character and sound doctrine. If you want to be a leader, work on this, your character and your doctrine. If you want to encourage good leadership, then pray for this in others, sound doctrine and good character. I'm going to ask our music ministry to return, and we're going to take a few minutes just to respond to the Word of God that's before us this morning. And as they sing, they're going to lead us in a couple of songs of worship. This is God's Word before us. I don't know where you are. I don't know what God's speaking to you this morning from this, but I know that God wants to speak to you and wants to speak to me, and that if we will listen, God will lead us and direct us. So maybe you're here today, and it's that character in your own life. Maybe you're here today and you felt that pressure to live the perfect life for God. Maybe you're here today and you felt like there had to be, uh, there's this standard of perfection that you had to hold, otherwise God isn't going to love you, God isn't going to care for you, God isn't going to accept you. And each of us need to come to that place where we would understand that it is not our righteousness that wins any points at all with God, but is the righteousness of Christ given to us through faith in Him. And so maybe you need to lay down your striving for perfection. The gospel is not, uh, Dallas Willard has said, the gospel is not, is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. There is effort. We try. We're living lives for God. We're living lives. We we want to live lives that are in line with all this word, but it is completely opposed to earning. We do not earn God's salvation. We do not earn God's blessing. So maybe this morning you just need to accept that free gift of salvation that God offers you through faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe this morning you're here and you just need to say, God, I've been listening to some of the wrong voices in my life where I have been letting some voices, I have, letting them, I have been letting them be too loud in my heart and in my life. I've been giving more weight to people of poor character or not of sound doctrine and I have not been allowing those voices of character and sound doctrine to carry enough weight in my life. Whatever it is, let's take a moment to respond to God's word and allow his spirit to search us. Father, would you lead us now as we worship and as we make ourselves available, would you speak to us, God, because we're each in a different place, but your word hits us, Lord, and we want to be people. We want to certainly be people of character and sound doctrine, but Lord, let us also be people who will give weight to voices in our lives people who have character and who hang on to that word of truth that is there. Lead us as we worship you today in Jesus' name.